The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 12 p.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. I was fighting something off earlier this week, and so I wound up in the doctor's office. And I have a, I have a great doctor. I love my doctor, but the experience of going to the doctor's office is not a pleasant one. You know, for starters, it always takes longer than I had thought it was going to take. You know, it always, I'm always there way, like maybe double the amount of time I was hoping. I, I don't think it's their fault. It's just people need the doctor. I get that. But it, man, it's good when you have a busy life, you know, you've got, it, it just, you have a certain amount of time. And so, man, that's, it's tough to, to give that amount of time. And especially because while you're waiting in that waiting room, when you walk in, you look around, and I, I just had this realization this time, I'm like, everyone in here is sick. I'm sick, they're sick, we're just in this little sick incubation chamber together. That one guy over there has some kind of West Nile swine flu thing going on, okay? And so yeah, I'm realizing we're all, I'm like, we're incubating in this sickness. Not only do I have, it takes time, but you know, there's other people, I don't want their sickness on me, okay? And then the person behind the, the counter hands you this packet of information to fill out, which is about 75 pages, and it's the most personal questions they could think of to ask you, okay? It's very uncomfortable, okay? So you're not only waiting, you're by sick people, and you're writing down the most personal things you've ever thought of, and I'm convinced they just put a couple of those pages in there just for fun, okay? I don't I don't think they need all these questions. So you're going through, you're like, do you have any weird moles? And you're like, well, what kind of question is that? <laughs> no. Okay, yes, a couple, all right? I've got to fill that one out, all right? And so you filled out these very personal questions, and now it's vulnerable. You've now exposed all these things, and you're giving it to these people, and you know that they're laughing back there about what you've just filled out. You know, there's a like mole guy back there, you know, and they're passing this around, and you just now all of a sudden feel, at least I just felt like, okay, now I'm just, I'm vulnerable. Everyone probably now knows what, I, what I'm going through and my struggles, and then, and they call you back. And the other part that's tough about going to the doctor is you're always going to hear something that you like about your present life that you have to discontinue doing immediately. You know that there's something you're going to have to fix. So she's, you know, it's your diet or your exercise. You know, sir, I see your diet here consists of coffee and Nutella. Okay, you're going to have to throw a vegetable in there at some point. Okay, there's always something that you're going to have to change about your life that you liked. And so I went through this whole experience. Again, I have a great doctor, and, and it was a good experience for me in, in, in kind of the broader scheme. But going through there, it's not the most comfortable. And I was at, kind of thinking back on this experience later this week, and I realized, okay, I'm a pastor. Man, I, I bet a lot of times there's a lot of similarities to what we sometimes feel about going to church. I mean, think about it. It's like, look, I, I, I know I need to go to church. Church is good. I'm supposed to go, but ah, I, I mean, I'm busy. It's hard to give that, that time. Or, or maybe you, you came to church and, and maybe the reason, you, you don't mind church, you don't mind, what, but you've had a, a bad experience with people at church. And so it's not unlike, look, I don't mind church, just the people at church. And so when I go, man, I, I feel like it's like the same thing. You're like, man, there's all these sick people here. I don't want to get it on me. 
Sometimes maybe you wonder, man, I've had a bad experience with, with church, and you just wonder, look, I, I don't know if I want to deal with the people. Or maybe it's like, you know, I, I know that uh, I, the things of my life are between me and God, but there's something, some, I think some of us sometimes feel when we walk into church, it's like, somehow I feel like everybody knows. It's vulnerable. Like everyone knows what I'm going through, and I feel conspicuous, even though I, it's not, I, I kind of feel like that. Or maybe... It's like, you know, I'd go to church, but I, I feel like if I go to church, there's going to be things that I'm going to have to change about my life that I really like. It's like, you know, I think that my life is good. I don't, know that I, I don't know that I want to go to church. I think kind of the honest question sometimes we're asking in the room together, I think it's a fair question. I think it's an honest question. I think it's an important question, and it might even be a wise question. I think sometimes when we come together, I think sometimes the question we're asking is, is going to church worth the effort? I mean, it's no secret getting here on the weekend. I mean, if you, especially if you have kids, I mean, it's always hard, but if you have kids, you might be able to get your kids to school every day at, by 8 a.m., but there's something about getting, you haven't even an extra hour. I mean, there's something about Sunday that chaos descends on your church, okay? It's something, cra- a tornado blows through there. I mean, it is hard. I mean, it is difficult. Going, something like going to church, giving up that weekend, I mean, it's, it, it, it's difficult. It's a challenge. It takes a lot of effort. I mean, we have busy lives, and man, there's not a lot of mornings that we could possibly sleep in. There's not a lot of mornings that, man, we could go play golf or go sometimes just be together as a family. These aren't bad things. I mean, gosh, going to church takes a lot of effort. I think it's a fair question to just stop and say, man, is going to church, is it worth it? Is it worth the effort? How worth it is it? So what we want to do is we're just going to address that question that's in the room straight on. Now, I know what you're going to say. Okay, we, we know where you're going to go. You're you're going to say yes, okay, we know that you're going to say that, but hey, you never know, okay, you never know how this is going to turn out, we're just going to open the Bible together, maybe this is the last time we're going to meet together, you never know, okay, so let's just go into it with an open mind, we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, let me tell you, as you're turning there, or you can look at it on the screens or in your listening guide, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 Here's really what's happening. This is this takes it's about the people of Jerusalem who live in Jerusalem a couple hundred years before the time of Jesus. And they've been Jerusalem was conquered. They've been taken into exile by the people who conquered them. They've come back. They've rebuilt this city, repopulated this city, and now they're not just rebuilding it physically, they're rebuilding it spiritually. And the the just to cut to the chase, the passage we're looking at this morning, they all gather together. These are the people of God. They're gathering together to worship. And so you have a couple thousand years ago, you have these people, God's people, gathering together to worship. And the description of this time of gathering, it's actually really profound. And it shows us these key principles about what it looks like when we gather or what it's supposed to look like when we gather together. So look at this with me, Nehemiah chapter 8, starting at verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women. Okay, just pause there with me. The, the passage begins, they've all gathered together. They've all gathered together in this main square. 
Ezra the priest, he's, the, he's also a scribe. He's kind of their spiritual leader. They ask him to bring the law and to read it to them. So these are the, the scrolls. These are the, the scripture. At this point, that's as much of the scripture as they have. And so that, that equivalent to us is like the Bible. He brings up, uh, that's the, the law is the very beginning of the Bible, the first couple books of the Bible. And so he brings up essentially the Bible before them and he's going to read to them out of the Bible. And it says the entire community has gathered. And I want you to look at one wording there because it's very interesting and it's also very important. It says all of the people gathered as one man. Did you see that? They're gathering together as if they're one together. It's like shows their solidarity, their unity. They're gathering as if they are one person before God. They're all coming together, and it's like they make up one entity. They realize that they're a part of each one of them, make up a small part of a greater whole. Now, this is why that's important. Because there's a parallel concept to us as the church. When we gather together, here's how the Bible uses several metaphors to describe you and me, to describe us. One is it describes us as the bride. Jesus as the bridegroom, we together are described as one collective being, the bride of Christ is sometimes how the scripture calls us. There's another metaphor in scripture. It refers to the church as a house, and each one of us, we are the bricks that make up that house. Another description of the church is the church is like a body, and each person is like a part of that body. It's a body part. Each person makes up that body. It's showing us something important about what the church is. The church is this whole. Each one of us are a piece of that. The scripture does not describe the church as this. It's not a building. When you think of, oh, think of a church, you might think of a cathedral, or maybe you think of a little building with a white steeple on it. It's not a building. It's not a time slot in the week. We sometimes say, I'm going to church, meaning like the, the worship service. Church is not a service. Church is not a brand. It's not a nonprofit. It's not an organization or an entity. The church is us, the people. We make up the church. There are churches that are meeting all over the world right now under trees, in caves, in homes, in cathedrals, in that perfect little red brick church with the white steeple, in warehouses. Church are meeting all over and church is the people. Here's why that's so important. Maybe you've been tempted to ask this question before. Man, I, I love Jesus and I love following Jesus, but do I really have to do the church thing? Like, do I have, does church have to be a part of it? Can't I just kind of follow Jesus on my own? Well, here's the answer to that question. The answer to that is you've got to turn that whole question on its head. It's not, do I have to go to church? Do I have to be a part of the church? If you're following Jesus, you are the church. You can't help it. That ship has sailed, unfortunately for you, maybe. You are the church. It's like you wake up one day and you're like, man, people just bug me. I'm just not sure if I'm going to sign on the dotted line as part of the human race. Too late. You're a human. That might be bad news for you. But you are a human being. That's who you are. That, that ship has sailed. That is who you are. If you are following Jesus, you are the church. You are part of the church. And whether or not you're gathering with the rest of the church... 
That's an issue of health, spiritual health and vitality. If you come home and there's a brick that's fallen off of your house, you're concerned. If you, you come home and all of a sudden some of the shingles have fallen off of your roof, okay, something's wrong, that needs to be repaired. If you're chopping onions in your kitchen and you find a finger on the counter, that's not good. Okay, The parts of the body belong on the body. You are a part of the body. If you're following Jesus, you are a part of the church. So this brings us to point number one on our outline. We come together because we belong to a greater whole. Part of the reason we come together is this is an expression of who we are. When we started following Jesus, our identity shifted from a me to a we. I'm not just me. I'm part of something. You are part of a global church. You're part of a local church. It is who you are already once you're following Jesus. This is just an expression of that. That's the first thing. We come together because we belong to a greater whole. Okay, we've got to keep moving here. I want you to look at um, verse 2 here. Let me read this again. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. Now listen. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood, okay, here we go, Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah, and on his right hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hash, Badanah, Zechariah, Meshulam, on his left hand. Okay, we made it. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. Now look. For he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. Okay, right around all those crazy names, there's a couple really interesting points. The first thing is, did you notice twice it listed who was all gathered there? It said all the men, all the women, and it says this, interestingly, and all who could understand. In fact, uh, an older translation of this says in English, and all the children who could understand. This is just a really practical point, but it's so critical because it plays out why we structure our weekend worship experience like we do. I want you to notice that in ancient times, they're conscious of comprehension levels. So I want you to think about this. They're prepared. I mean, they didn't just throw this together. They had built a platform and they prepared for all this. So all the men and all the women and all the the young people who are at a level that they can comprehend what's going on are all there. So where are all the children and the babies? They just let them run amok on the countryside? You know, just go, be free. No, obviously they had something else prepared for them too. What What I think you read between the lines, you have ancient kids ministry alluded to right here in this passage. What you at least have here is they're conscious of comprehension levels. Here's what I want you to see. What we do, part of how we respond to this, is we design our experience on the weekend according to our comprehension levels and what we can understand. This is the second point on on your outline. When we come together, we understand at different levels. 
And so here's what that means that we do. You, you may say, okay, now why, uh, you know, you're allowed to bring your kids in here if you want. We encourage you to put your kids in kids' ministry. And you might wonder, hey, why do we do that? Is it because, well, kids are a distraction here in the auditorium? Well, actually, first and foremost, it's because that's not just childcare. It's not just keeping them busy so that we can have our full attention on what we're studying. No, we want them to learn about the word of, word of God and the gospel and how much God loves them and what Jesus did for them. I want them, we want them to learn at a level they can understand. We'd rather them, instead of learning how to stay quiet in church, I would rather them learn what a vibrant church experience is like at their own level and so that they're growing up used to experiencing church, understanding the scripture, understanding the gospel all the way up. And so we have kids' ministries. The messages are designed for each of their age groups from our babies all the way up through fifth grade. We have middle school that happens uh, concurrent to some of our services. And we have that so it's right at their level. And some of you may say, well, what about my middle school? I think they can understand what's happening in here. Well, just a practical tip. Here's what I would advise you to do. This is the, if you can do this, this is the best case scenario if you have a middle schooler. I'd say come to one service together as a family with them in here. And then during the service that middle school ministry is offered, take them to the middle school and then the rest of the family stay and serve. That way they can start getting an experience of what it's like to be in this, in this environment and still learning at their own level. When we come together, we learn at different levels and we acknowledge that. But there's a second thing in here that's so powerful. Did you notice it describes, it says their ears were attentive to the scripture. In fact, it says when Ezra opened the law, what did they just out of instinctively do? What did they do? Did you notice? They stood I want you to know that I want you to see the intensity. I mean, they're leaning in. And it says he read from morning to midday. Okay, they stood for a long time. It sounds like it's exhausting. Okay, they instinctively, they stood when the law was opened. They're leaning in. Now, here's something that's so instructive for us. And I fall into this, this same trap, I think, myself. I, I have preachers that I love to listen to. I love to listen to, to sermons and, and other pastors that I, I look up to. And, and so often what I do on accident is I put my level of attentiveness on them. And so sometimes what I say is I'll say, man, I love that one preacher because he keeps my attention. Now I want you to think about that. What other environments would we do that in? I had some friends uh, recently, they went um, skydiving has anyone ever been skydiving in here? Just a show of hands, a couple of you. That's insane. Why would you ever do that? Okay, I don't. Okay, and they're describing, I'm like, man, was there ever a point that you're like, what in the world am I doing in the process? And my friend was like, oh yeah, when they started giving the instructions about what we're going to do jumping out of the sky. Okay, they started describing that. And I'm thinking, okay, if I was in that moment where they're telling me how to skydive, I don't think I would listen harder in any, I mean, I'd be like, okay, exactly. Okay, what happens next? Okay, tell me. Did you write that down? You write that down. I'm writing it down. Can I sit through this class a second time? Because I might have missed something. I mean, can you imagine you jump out and you're like, oh, what's this cord for? That guy was so boring. I didn't hear anything he said. I fell asleep halfway through that. No, I mean, you're not doing the instructor any favors. It's your life. Okay, you're saving your life by pulling the cord, okay? Think about when do we put our attentiveness on the presenter? Because we do that. We do that in entertainment venues. 
How'd you like the movie? I don't know. I got lost somewhere in between. I fell asleep. I was just kind of boring. But man, when it's something that could save our life, we don't care. Just give me the information because I need this. See, here's what this is saying. I mean, they came and they leaned in. They're like, okay, I need this. Okay, this is for me. Okay, here's the other point on the next point on our outline. Man, this is so critical when we we come together this is number three because we need the scripture we need this Do you realize this is saving us from certain disaster the things in our life that i mean the most important things in our life this is speaking to and that's just for our life that says nothing to how this is speaking into our eternity Man, attentiveness, yes, it's for those of us who have been called to teach the Word of God, we pour our heart and soul into it, we're called to do that. But man, whenever we have an opportunity to hear the Word of God taught by anyone, no matter who, if we are wise, we're leaning forward saying, God, what do you have for me? What do you have? Because I need this. Can I just give you some practical tips about how to get the most out of God's life-giving truth when it comes to the weekend? Let me just give you some tips. Three things. First of all, Start the night before. Start the night before. Man, what's happening when you come on Sunday morning could save your life, your marriage, your kids, your eternity, literally. It's that important. Get a good night's sleep. If you have kids, sit out all the clothes. Put out the sippy cup, pack the diaper bag, because if you're running around, you're ripping clothes back off kids and ironing them. You burned little Johnny on accident, okay? Someone's got a brush stuck in their hair, all right? You're throwing things. You know, get it all laid out the night before. Be, be ready. This first thing, start the night before. Second thing, if you at all can, I mean, some of you, this goes against your, ab, your wine, you can't physiologically do this. If at all possible, get here early. I mean, some of you are like, I'm just going to scratch that one off. Honey, that's never, ever going to happen. Okay, I know. I know. You're like, look, it's just the law. I get here 10 minutes late every time. I, I don't know. I'm spitballing here. Maybe just start 10 minutes earlier the next week. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Okay? If you get here, some of you get here early. It's a magical experience for you. I mean, there's things that, that happen before the service. So you know, don't even know. I mean, I'm not going to tell you, but they're magical that happen before the service. Some of you are here. You're relaxed, you have a cup of coffee. Hey, brother, as they walk by. You're just, man, it's a whole different experience. And if you can do that, then you can do the third thing. You can prepare your soul. Some here, people are here early, and I see them, and they're just here by themselves, and in between greeting people and drinking their coffee, they get their heads bowed, and they're ready. Lord, what are you going to do today? Man, we need this. All right, we got to keep going here. Look at number, uh, look at verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I want you to see this is so powerful and so beautiful. Do you know that what happened? The participants were not just the people on the platform that they built. No, this was a group participation environment. And Ezra says, he says, let's bless the Lord. He blesses the Lord. And I love that the author inserts his own worship. He blesses the Lord, that great God. 
And he says he blesses the Lord and, and all the people say amen, which is this historical word, which means that is true, that is right, absolutely. They say amen, amen. It says they lift their hands up. They bow their faces to the ground. This is the group participating together. Do you realize that this is a participatory environment? This is something we're doing together. This isn't a show. This isn't one, it's not, it is one direction, but it's not this way. It's this way. This is a participation. Look at this. Number four, it says when we come together, we are active participants. One of the most important things, hear me, one of the most important things we do together is we sing together. Did you know the music? It's not like the previews before the movie. The music is the part where we sing and proclaim scriptural truth. We're teaching it to our souls through song. It's where we are participating and we're together blessing the Lord. We are participants, which is why some of you, you raise your hands. Some of you, you bow your head. Some of you close your eyes. Some of you have your hands out like this. You're participating in singing to the Lord. That's why it doesn't matter if you're musical. It doesn't matter, well, I'm just not a music person or I don't have a good voice. No one wants, me to, wants to hear me sing. We're doing this to bless the Lord. He gave you the voice he gave you. You may be right. Maybe none of us want to hear your voice. But God gave you that voice. This is a participatory environment. We sing to the Lord. That also means this. I'm not waiting for the song that I like. <laughs> Whoa. We give you a fill-in-the-blank outline, and what kind of church have we turned into? Okay, all right. Everyone simmer down. Oh, goodness. All right, we sing to the Lord. It's for Him. It doesn't matter what the song is because it's not for us. It's for Him. It's a participatory environment. Keep going. Let's jump into verse 7. <clears throat> also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites. Now watch this. Helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law, from the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Do you realize what they just described? A group of Levites, a a team that stood before and they did two things. They read the Bible and explained it so everyone could understand. You know what that is? That's preaching. That's the biblical definition of preaching. It's taking what's here and it's a team like we have at West Pines. It's a team of us that are called to read this clearly and then say what it says. That is what preaching. You need to know what biblical preaching is and is not. Biblical preaching is not us coming up with some fancy ideas, finding some scriptures and throwing it together so that we can say it's biblical. Biblical preaching is not just really modern day self-help that we look for a a passage that we can springboard off of, a Bible verse we can springboard off of and get to self-help that you can hear anywhere else. It's not just a tip on how to just tweak and improve your life that we start somewhere in the Bible and give it to you. No, this is what preaching is. We say, we are wanting to know what this says. That's all we care about. We study this, and then we say, this is what this means. 
That's what preaching is. And this brings us to this next point, number five. When we come together, it is to be transformed by the Scripture. That's why we come together to be transformed. You realize Bible study is not simply coming so that we know more data about this book. That's not it. It's not just simply, hey, we want to study this so that you know what the book of Nehemiah is about and you know the history of how the wall was built and you've memorized a couple more verses and you know a couple more scripture references. No, we're reading this. We explain it. We study it together so that we can be transformed, so we can walk out of here different, more like Christ, that God is drawing us to himself. Okay, now look what happens, and we're going to wrap it up with this section. It's powerful. Look at verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine. And send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, Be quiet. For this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink. And to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is such a beautiful part of the story. Did you catch what happened? They read the law. They explained what it meant. And the people wept. They broke down sobbing. They couldn't control it. Why? Because they were convicted. What you're reading, that's not us. That's not my life. Uh, They're under conviction. They they were wanting to be transformed by the scripture and they're hearing that and they're saying, that's not me. But what did the leader say? They said, okay, but that's not the response you should have. You should rejoice. So I want to ask something. What happened between grieving and mourning and rejoicing? There's something in the middle. What happened? And they stated what's probably the most famous verse in Nehemiah. They said, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. So there's something that went from mourning to laughter, from sadness to joy, from ashes to beauty. There's something in the middle, the joy of the Lord. They remembered something about God that took them from mourning to rejoicing. These are people who are standing in what was very recently rubble because they had broken the law. And they're standing there saying, we've broken the law. We're not even close But then they remembered that the Lord had brought them back from captivity. He had rebuilt their city. He had started over with them, even though they didn't deserve it. And they remembered something about God. He's a God of redemption. And they stood on that, and that went from, took them from mourning to rejoicing. Church, do you realize we have even greater reason to see our redemption? Jesus Christ the Son of God, that was, that was just a picture of the redemption to come. A few hundred years later, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walked on this planet and he was crucified for our sins. He paid the penalty our sins deserve. He bled out. Jesus was purchased our redemption and he rose again from the dead so that we can be forgiven. Do you realize that is the same cycle that happens for us 
every single Sunday, every single time we gather, we study the word and we're convicted. We're like, God, I do fall so far short of your glory and we're about to mourn. And then we remember we have a God of redemption. We have the gospel. We have Jesus Christ. And so that means every Sunday is a celebration. That's what we're gathering here to do. Do you realize we're not first and foremost gathering to tweak our lives to please God? We're not here saying, what can I do to make you love me more, God? No, we're first and foremost gathering to be reminded of what he did to accept us. The joy of the Lord, a God of redemption through Jesus Christ. That's why we lift his name high. We are celebrating that he is our redeemer. Number six on your outline, when we come together, it is to celebrate. This is always a celebration and it always comes back to the gospel because Because Christ follower, you need to be reminded of the gospel every single week. So we've talked through these various elements that we've learned about about when we come together. We come together, it's because we belong to a greater whole. When we come together, we understand at different levels. When we come together, we come together because we need the scripture. When we come together, we are active participants. When we come together, it is to be transformed by the scripture. When we come together, it is to celebrate but I'll be honest, we haven't really answered the question yet. And is, it, is coming to church worth the effort? That's a fair question. It's an honest question. But here's what the answer to that question is. It depends. It depends on what the purpose of this gathering is for. If the purpose of this gathering is, you know what, I just need to get fed every week. I need to come. I need to get fed. I need to get, it's like my, my spiritual pick-me-up because uh, I need the scripture. And, I, man, I need those songs. It just draws me back to the Lord. I just need that blessing every week. If that's what the purpose of church is for me to be blessed, then I would recommend you re-ask that question every week because I don't know. Is, is going to church worth the effort? If it's about you being blessed, then I would say every week, okay, how badly do I need to be blessed? Because we're, you know, we've got some travel plans coming up and we've got this going on. It's been a busy week and I'm exhausted because I might be better blessed by having a quiet day at home with my family or sleeping in. If it's to me to be blessed, if I'm the goal for me to be blessed, you should, it's probably wise time management to re-ask that question every week. But there's only one person that was, that was stated was blessed by this gathering. Did you notice who it was? They came together to bless the Lord. That's who this is for. We come together. This is our offering to him. This is not the audience. This is the audience. When we come together and we sing, and we lean forward and say, what do you have for me today, God? It's because this is for you, so you give me my marching orders. You tell me, what, what do you want for my life? And I'm going to sing to you. It's, it's for you. Man, it is for God. The last point on our, on our outline, we come together for God. First and foremost, this is our point where we offer up to God every week. We offer it up to bless His name. It's, we're raising our hands and we're active in worship to bless His names. We're listening and celebrating His word for His name. It is to bless the Lord. And do you know how much that mental shift will affect your experience? First of all, it's going to affect your schedule. Because if this is for me, then I've got to fit it in with all the other things for me. 
Okay, that's an honest question. Okay, if this is for me, okay. I've also, man, I need some time off. I need a morning to sleep in. I need some time with the family. This is the only time I can invest in my hobby. And what about the kids? I mean, if they're going to do extracurriculars, those things happen on Sunday. I mean, when else are we going to do them? And There's all these things that I want for them. But if this is for God, then I say, let's start with this. First fruits of my time. I say, God, I am joining with my brothers and sisters. I'm a part of a greater whole all over the world. We are gathering together each week to to present our offering of our praise to you. So I'm going to give that time first and foremost to you. And I'm going to build everything else around that. It's not for the church it's not, for, it's not for your community group. It's not for you. It's not for someone. You're not coming for someone else who's bringing you. First and foremost, we are coming to praise the name of God. It's our offering to him. You say, but what do I do about, you know, I've got, I've got these, these things in my life. They're a bit, start with this. God, all of my time is yours. Let me lay this before you. What do you have for me? But the second thing that's going to change is your participation. Because if it's for me, then I'm going to look and I'm going to say, okay, how did this this morning bless me? How did it fit with my preferences? How did it fit with, was this the inspiration? Is this the teaching series that I want to hear? Is this, how did I feel about how they did that? And do I like those songs? Do I like the layout? Do I like the worship order? How do these things fit for me? But you turn it on its head if it's for God. It doesn't matter if it fit my preferences. It matters if it fits his purposes. That's what this is for. And here's the paradox. Can I tell you the beautiful paradox? Is if you come to bless him, you will leave far more blessed than you would have ever been otherwise. That's the paradox of coming together as the body of Christ. This is how C.S. Lewis put it. In In his book, he quotes a demon. It's kind of darkly humorous. He says this, he says, to one demon says to another, if you can't cure a Christian from going to church, then turn him into a church connoisseur so that he's a critic where God wants him to be a pupil. Some of us who have gone to church the longest, we're, we're church worship experts, we know exactly how we like it, and we're the ones that first and foremost need to be reminded this is for him. Yesterday, I got the privilege of going to a wedding, and it was just so sweet. Young, godly couple. Jesus is the center of their lives. They're sons and daughters of God, also sons and daughters of this church. Their families have been going here for a long time, very involved. Uh, he's in the, the worship band. She works in kids' ministry. You, you'd recognize them. I mean, they're just awesome. Love these two. And um, they actually, the other thing that makes it sweet is they actually met in West Pine student ministry many years ago. It's a little plug there for student ministry, just saying, okay? And, um, and they've been dating for about, I think they've been dating for like six and a half years, and they're now in their early 20s, and so they got married yesterday. And uh, it was the most, the most I'll never forget. I, I've been to a lot of weddings. I officiate some weddings, but I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget this. The bride comes to that moment. She walks through, and she looked stunning. I mean, all of us just, she just was regal. And everyone was just looking at her, and then some of us looked up and we saw the groom. And I have never seen anything like this. It literally took the breath out of his lungs. He goes, and then he bursts into tears. 
And he wept, sobbed as this woman walked down the aisle. And he's known her since he was in high school. And it was like it was the first time he'd ever laid eyes on this woman. And you couldn't miss. I mean, it was uncontrollable. Just put his hands up to his face. <gasps> like this when she comes through. Just so deeply in love with this woman. And we just enjoyed that moment. And in that moment, there was, it was like I just felt a tap on my shoulder. And it was like I just felt the thought go through. Maybe God put this thought in my mind of Jesus. And he says, as unimaginable as it is, that's how I feel about my bride. One day, we will be presented to Jesus and we'll see his response, his tears, his love that we couldn't possibly deserve. That's how much he loves us. That's what this is for. It's for Jesus, church. It's for him. It's because he loves us more than we could possibly imagine or ever deserve. It's for Jesus. It's because God has set aside the church. He says, I've put you on this planet and you are the ones that will praise the name of Jesus. You will lift up the name of Jesus that is the name above every name that one day every knee will bow and tongue will confess. It's the name in which we pray, the name in which brings healing and power into our lives. We come together for one name. It's not my name. It's not your name. We are tasked with the responsibility to make the name of Jesus famous and we will do that with our it is our honor and our privilege to do that every single week we will gather together for jesus it's for him it's for him that's why we come together every breath that we take is for him Every heartbeat is for him. Everything we have and own is for him. Every weekend is for him. And when we come together, it is for Jesus. That's why we come. Jesus, we come together for you. We, we can't possibly give you what you deserve. We can't possibly sing loud enough, true enough. We can't listen in enough. But it is for you, Jesus, as your bride, as your church. That is what we're doing. We are here for him, church. And that's what we've given our lives for. And some of you this morning are here and you maybe haven't given your life to Jesus and you need to do that this morning. Give your life to someone who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? This morning, if... You say, look, I'm living my own life. I'm living for me. It's not just church that's for me. It's my whole life that's for me. But I want to give my life to Jesus who died on the cross to give me forgiveness. Then pray this simple prayer right there in your seats between you and God. Just simply say this. Just quietly in your heart say, God, thank you for sending Jesus to save me. Jesus, thank you for how much you love me even though I don't deserve it. I give you my life. Thank you for dying on the cross. I'm yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out our other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 954 432 
0321, or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.